From the Not A Foodie studio in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn on 620 AM Radio Rampa, it's the Not A Foodie radio show. As always, I am your co-host, Tom, and with me as always is... It's me, Mike. Hey, Mike. Oof. How's it going? I'm dying. You're dying? Yeah. What's going on? I'm just super sick. Oh, I, that's not I'm good. I'm going to be coughing throughout the show. And no, you dying. can't do that. This yeah. is radio. This is like... <laughs> don't do it. Don't. You can't do that. You can't do it. He's done. Uh, well, first of all, don't get me sick. <laughs> yeah, I'll try not to. All right. Well, we've got a very exciting show for you. Thanks for coming in. Uh, now that you know you're, you've got a radio show, you come in when you're yeah, on your deathbed. Yeah. yeah, that's it. So, what are we? Uh, what are we talking about this week? I think. I think first of all, let's talk about a little bit of a recap of um, who we are. Because if you're tuning in for the first time, you might not have heard our great big intro. We are... Shame on you. Yes, shame on you. <laughs> we are the Not A Foodie radio show. It used to be a podcast. It still is a podcast, but now it's also an AM radio show. So I'm Tom and... I'm Mike and I am the front of house guy. I've been in restaurants for about a decade. I started off scooping ice cream and then I've worked my way to managing multi-million dollar restaurants. And I am Tom and I am a food PR guy, marketing guy, I'm home cook, I cook all the time. I eat all the time. I'm not a foodie. I just eat a lot. And we are the Not A Foodie radio show. So um, let's start the show. I wanted to talk about our favorite food stories of this week. Yeah. Okay. So do you have a, do you have a favorite food story of the week? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I love pizza. I mean, who doesn't? I also love gossip. <laughs> okay. So there's a pizza war almost going on right now. In, in New York City. In New York City. Yes, I know the story you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, so there was a pizza chef at Prince Street Pizza in the Lower East Side yep. who left to open up a place in the Upper West Side called uh, Made in NY Pizza. Or okay. Made in New York Pizza. Um, and with that, he brought the spicy pepper, the spicy spring pie recipe, which is a spicy pepperoni recipe, mm -hmm. with him. And uh, so the whole thing's like you stole the recipe. Uh, Prince Street Pizza trademarked the name, so they changed the name. But in the uh, the reply to that, uh -huh. the guy said there were noticeable changes and improvements to the pizza, <laughs> which is hilarious. Well, uh, I mean, you can't. You're not allowed to copyright uh, a recipe. Like, you can't. It's, I don't. You, I'm not you, a. I'm not a lawyer, but you can't. How copyright can you verify? Awesome like you can't verify anything like yeah. that. Like, but. Besides that, I I live very close to the Upper West Side. Mm -hmm. I can get to any neighborhood with relative ease. Right. Besides the Lower East Side. <laughs> so, like, it really, me going to this place to get pizza isn't hurting Prince Street. Because I'm never going down to Prince Street for a slice of pizza. Okay. So, so you're in favor of... <laughs> I'm in favor of good pizza being as close to me being as Being readily accessible. Yeah. <laughs> you know what this reminds me of? Hmm. This reminds I, me it, of... It reminds me of two things. Okay. One is 
L&B Spumoni Gardens. Yes, this had, is what I was getting had to. Had a yeah. mafia sit down. It's the great, well, first of all, I'm an Italian-American, so I am obligated to say that the mafia doesn't exist. It's just something that is made up. It's, um, it does not exist. That being said, I remember when the crime families sat down <laughs> in, I think it was like in 2010 or 2012 or something like that. No, earlier. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, to talk about, um, maybe it was like the early 2000s, yeah. just to talk about the recipe of, of the pizza and what pizza parlors were allowed to be where. And it took place at LMB Spumoni Gardens, right, in Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing it reminded me of was in the early 2000s, how all the finance guys just plucked waiters from Peter Luger's and opened up their own steakhouses. Yeah. Because the guy that's backing um, Made in New York Pizza is uh, the guy that owns Southern Hospitality. Oh, wow. Yeah. Big, big liquor distributor. No, no, no. Southern Hospitality. Oh, Southern Hospitality, not Southern Wines. Yeah. I'm the, sorry. That was the, the one with um, yes. Justin Timberlake and stuff at one point. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's right. So, yeah. So, pizza wars are, are back. boiling back up. Yeah. It's like we're like the early aughts, the great pizza wars of... I'm going to go to this place and check it out because it's have supposed to. to be very good pizza. So Just be watch your back. Don't get whacked I'll when you go. Best, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> so my, um, my story of the week it comes out of Keene, New Hampshire. Do you know this story? No, I actually, I've never heard of Keene. I thought you were going to say Keene Steakhouse because I. No. Okay. Keene, New Hampshire. Um, Mike, let me ask you a question. You're, you're a little sick. Um, yes. You told me that you had some soup last night. What kind of soup did you have last pho. night? Pho. Right. And how do you spell pho? P-H-O. P-H-O. And what is pho? It's, it's soup with noodles and beef and you make it Where really is it spicy. from? Oh, uh, Vietnam. It, it's Vietnam. It's a Vietnamese yeah. soup, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what is it called? Pho. And what's the name of the city? Keen. Okay. So there is a, um, there is a new pho shop in Keene, New Hampshire that put up a sign, uh, Basically advertising that they're coming soon, and it's the name of the soup plus the name of the city, quote, Great Soup. So Fa is the name of the soup. Keen is the name of the city. Great Soup. And there was a big sign. But every all the people that don't know how to pronounce things pronounce as Fo. Right. And not Fa. Right. Yeah. But they, there, was a, there, there was a lot of just outcry um, because... This particular restaurant is going is coming soon, and it had the big sign up, and apparently it's going to be in town hall or in city in like a building that's adjacent to city hall. So there were these big signs up all over the Keene City Hall, apparently, um, that that talked about this, and it, there was outrage. There was outrage in the outrage. community. Oh god! So imagine if something actually bad happened. I know, right? They were forced to take down their signs. There's, you know, they're. You go to the Facebook page for the restaurant, and they are defending themselves. You go to the town of Keene, and they put out their press releases. But what led me down – what this did was it led me down this path of looking for really cool pho restaurant names because there's a, there's a lot, lot right? of wordplay. Yeah. yeah. So there's pho ever young, um, pho shizzle, pho real in Silver, Stream, Silver Springs, Maryland. Um, there's a, just a whole bunch. You can just go Google – Clever pho restaurants, P-H-O, restaurant names, and you'll find just a dozen of them. So I thought uh, I thought that was my sort of fun story of the week. Fun. Pho, pho, mm, story of the week. Um, that's it, man. I don't, like, you have any other stories? No, I think we did good. All right. Well, 
Stay tuned for the rest of the Not A Foodie Radio Show. This is a great show. We've got some really great uh, segments coming up. Mike's going to talk about uh, some food that he ate this week because we all want to know what he ate aside from pho. We're going to talk about Oysters Rockefeller, which is one of my favorite dishes in the world. And then we've got a special guest. Russell Cohn is a food entrepreneur, and he's going to come on and talk about mochi and soju and just food entrepreneurship. And uh, that's it. So you're listening to the Not A Foodie Radio Show. It's on Radio Rampa, 620 AM. We'll be back in a minute. If you are listening to this broadcast, chances are you've toyed around with the idea of launching your own creative recording project or podcast. If so, BK Media Center is the perfect media facility for your needs. Whether you're a group of friends looking for a soundproof facility to record a podcast or a more dynamic project with live streaming up to nine cameras, the staff at BK Media Center can cater to your needs and more importantly, to your budget, also providing flexible studio schedule. Visit the website at bkmediacenter.com or call 917-300-9123 to set up a studio tour. Hey everyone, it's Tom from the Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant loving audience? The Not A Foodie Radio Show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. That's info at notafoodie.com. And we're back. Thanks for joining us. It's Mike and Tom of the Not A Foodie Show, 620 AM Radio Rampa. Mike. Before we get to our next segment, I wanted to just make sure everybody knows how to get in touch with us. I think that one of the things that we've always talked about on our podcast and now on our radio show is that we love to hear from our audience. We want to hear from you if you've got great recipes or great food stories or if you are some sort of person who works in food, just get in touch with us. Or questions. Or questions. What's the best way to get in touch with us, Mike? Instagram DMs. Slide right in. (laughs) So we're at... Not a foodie show on Instagram and at not a foodie show on Twitter. You can also reach us there. Mike, last week we talked about what I ate, what I cooked mm-hmm. over the holidays. It was a long and drawn out segment because I cooked so much. Uh, I felt like I was hogging the mic. So, what did you eat or cook this week? So, uh, we have a good friend, uh, Jean Kim. Yes. Uh, at Genius Eats on Instagram. She's Zagat top 100 food blogger. She's really incredible and she uh, she's Korean and she really turned us on to like how great Korean food is. So I uh, I go to H Mart a lot mm-hmm. now. What's H Mart? H Mart's a Korean uh, grocery store. It's like uh, the best. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you go in there and it's just a sensory experience. Yeah. The one in the Upper West Side's a little small but it still has a little bit of everything. Okay. So I have um, gochujang which is the spicy paste. Yep. Just spicy like a, a cherry, not cherry pepper, but just a red pepper red paste. Red pepper paste, like, yeah. Um, I always have it in my fridge now. I bought a container of it for like eight bucks and it's massive. I'm smiling because Mike, we, we recorded an episode of the podcast about Korean food and Mike made fun of me because I always had gochugaru in, <laughs> in my house, which is a, like a Korean red chili flake powder or a chili flakes. And now Mike is uh, Mike is a convert. <laughs> He's got his gochugang oh, in the house. Yeah, so... 
Then I buy bulgogi, which is marinated uh, ribeye, uh-huh. thin cut. And I buy um, it's our, it's like ready to go. It's cur- Korean just noodles with some vegetables, mm-hmm. and I make a bulgogi stir fry essentially. So you just you stir up you stir fry up the uh, the meat. You add the uh-huh. spicy paste into it. And I buy woodier mushrooms, which are my favorite kind of mushrooms. They're these little black mushrooms, and mm-hmm. they they just have really great texture to them. Cool. And uh, just a little sriracha on top, and it's like takes five minutes to do because the meat's so thin and it's so good. That is that's like the ultimate not a foodie meal. It's something that is not <laughs> something that you eat like. Uh, Every day that you can't just, you know, go and get. But it's something that's simple and impressive. Impressive. Yes. And it's just, it's delicious. Um, yeah, I really do think that, the, like, that's, that's sort of If Korean. someone was, like, explain how you cook, that's the best way I could explain it. I buy all this stuff that's pretty much cooked already. And I put it together. <laughs> and it's really delicious. <laughs> Mike Mike and I were talking this morning. Because I'm the, I'm the total opposite. Mike and I were talking this morning <sighs> about, um, we were just talking about over breakfast. Um, and I said that I have everything spice, you know, like, like an everything bagel and I have everything spice that I just throw on eggs or, or different things. I, I throw it on salmon sometimes. And he's like, oh, just like the stuff from Trader Joe's. I was like, no, <laughs> I go out and I buy each individual ingredient and I mix up a gigantic batch of everything seasoning and I just have it next to my stove. So you should put in a salt shaker. Uh, I have it. It won't go through a salt shaker because oh. of these sesame seeds. They're too thick. Okay. Um, but anyway, so I'm the total opposite of you. I make everything from scratch instead of going out and buying it. But I've got a bigger kitchen than you do. I don't have a kitchen. I yeah. have a stovetop. Yeah. <laughs> so what else did you, you – you, you also took a trip to Arthur Avenue, yeah, right? Yeah. With, so with um, Chili Pete, the with the radio show an hour before us. Yeah. Shout out to Chili Pete on Radio Rampa. He's on um, – what is he, 1 o'clock on one, Saturday one afternoon? 1 to 2. Yep. 1 to 2 he precedes our show. Mm-hmm. So – me, him, and two of his buddies, we went up to Arthur Avenue to Mario's. Oh. Which has been open it. for a hundred years now. They opened in nineteen nineteen. Uh-huh. Um, and we just we ate like kings. I love a good red sauce Italian joint. People ask me, they're like, Aren't you like kind of a, you like those places? I'm like, I love those places because there's no pretentiousness and you just go and you know what you're gonna get and it's gonna be good. It's comfort food. Yeah, for it, sure. I think my ultimate comfort food is either veal or chicken parm. Yeah. Like I, something simple that I've had my whole life, mm-hmm. and that's that's it. Chick, I think chicken cutlets, just like straight chicken cutlets, <laughs> that's like the comfort food. I got a, a, a funny story about uh, Red Sauce Giant. I had some friends visiting, some, some really like food-loving friends that are world travelers, and they were visiting the U.S. from Australia. They live in Australia. And they wanted to go to Carbone because Carbone was just recommended to them. And Carbone, for those of you that don't know, is it takes the red sauce joint of like the 50s, like the Italian red sauce joint. And it just it elevates it almost to a caricature of itself. Like all the waiters are dressed in, you know, red velvet tuxedos. They all look like they're going to whack you at any moment. And um, but they looked at the menu and they had no idea, like, what's chicken parm? Like, what's veal parm? (laughs) They're like, this isn't Italian. And it took me a second to realize that obviously this is Italian-American. It's not Italian food. These people eat at gourmet Italian restaurants all the time, and they've never heard of veal parm. 
and I had to explain to them what it was. But and I told them it's my ultimate comfort food, and it is very New York. It's a chicken Italian. cutlet with red sauce and cheese, and you just throw it in the oven, and it melts. Yes, <laughs> and it melts into a delicious little congealed. I can't know, imagine awesomeness. knowing like what like salt and boca is, and not knowing what parmesan. Right, is. right. Like, that's no, crazy. I know. <laughs> I know. They, I mean, they loved it. They, it was, <clears throat> it was an absolute amazing meal. Uh, and it's just Carbone is just one of those places where it's great for special yeah. event, you know, special occasions. It's just a good dining. restaurant. It's a right. good restaurant, but they they take that you know red sauce Italian and just elevate it into like it's like it's like a cartoon. When you walk in there, you feel like you're walking into Raging Bull, like a scene from Raging Bull from 1950 something. Like Jake LaMotta is going to be sitting at the bar with you. I got the Veal Sorrentino. Where at the uh, Mario's? Mario's? Yeah. How was it? It's phenomenal. Everything. What yeah. did you guys get? How? Oh, we ate. We ate. Good. I saw some photos on the yeah. Instagram. Yeah, we ate yeah. good. So that's another reason to follow us on Instagram is is like the massive amounts of food photos that we have. Yeah, uh, appetizers. We did fried calamari. Fried calamari. We did a jumbo shrimp cocktail. Uh-huh. They do a personal margarita pizza. Okay, and it like no lie is one of the best pizzas in the city. Really? Yeah, just. That's a bold yeah, statement considering just, our Pizza Wars segment that we just yeah, talked about. For for margarita pizza, for like personal brick oven pizza. And they're – I don't think they have like a pizza oven. I don't know how it works, but like it's great. Um, then we did a, a soup course. Mm-hmm. So I got the tortellini and brodo. Okay. Very good. Okay. It's Tom's like favorite It is. Thing. It is my, yeah. my – another piece of comfort food is my tortellini and brodo. Then we, um, we each got like a different veal dish and mm-hmm. then we got uh, a thing of gnocchi for the table. Love the, I love the for the table order. The for the table order. I'm gonna. That's gonna be my 2019 goal is to bring back, not bring back, but to try to do a for the table order. Entree and everywhere because yeah, I couldn't get because the the veal comes with the pasta, but they couldn't do gnocchi. But everyone wanted the gnocchi, so we just got. <laughs> And we got a gnocchi for the table. Then we all got vegetables. When we were at Carbone the other night, we got uh, rigatoni for the <sighs> table, uh, just just because you mm-hmm. had to. And, and then Pete got um, linguine and uh, vodka sauce, mm-hmm. and their linguine and yeah, vodka it was sauce. A, I've never heard of that. It was a weird, yeah. weird pick. But their vodka sauce was phenomenal. There's little pieces of pork in there, and like so oh, little pieces it. of tomato, and yeah. like really like a great, great vodka. Yeah, sauce. Yeah, usually you make it with a you put a little bit of uh, prosciutto in there. Yeah, and brings that brings it out. Well, it sounds like a sounds like a delightful meal. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was great. I don't know as much as you can call like scuff, sc- putting that much food down your gullet a delightful meal, but oh, I it looks delicious. It. I took um, I took gnocchi and half the veal home with me, and I had it for lunch the next day. Nice. Yeah, well, and we went to a bakery for. Okay, it, I mean, you're on yeah. Arthur Avenue. You have to. They had rainbow cake, which was really, really delicious. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, I'm I'm glad you're making me drool here. I want to go out and get some uh, some red sauce Italian tonight. Um, but uh, I think for now we've got to take a commercial break. Maybe I'll go grab myself a veal parm, like you know, veal parm the, hero yeah. in the minute and a half that we have between <laughs> before when we come back on the air. So you're listening to the Not a Foodie Radio Show on Radio Rampa 6:20 a.m. and we'll be back in a minute. If you are listening to this broadcast, chances are you've toyed around with the idea of launching your own creative recording project or podcast. If so, BK Media Center is the perfect media facility for your needs. Whether you're a group of friends looking for a soundproof facility to record a podcast or a more dynamic project with live streaming up to nine cameras, 
The staff at BK Media Center can cater to your needs and, more importantly, to your budget, also providing flexible studio schedule. Visit the website at bkmediacenter.com or call 917-300-9123 to set up a studio tour. Hey everyone, it's Tom from the Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant loving audience? The Not A Foodie Radio Show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. That's info at notafoodie.com. You're listening to the Not A Foodie Radio Show on Radio Rampa, 620 AM. We are at Not A Foodie Show on Instagram, at Not A Foodie Show on Twitter, and you can always reach us that way. Mike, I think that this should be a segment. I think that we should do this, you know, once in a while, and we should just pick a food that is, that we love. And I'm picking this week, Oysters Rockefeller. Okay, you picked it, but what are we going to do? We are going to talk about it. Okay. That's it. That's it. We're a radio show. What else are we going to do? Right. It's not like not like people want to you know listen to us slurp down oysters. I mean, that, that ASMR. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so over the New Year's uh, break, I made oysters. Actually, it was Christmas Eve and on New Year's Eve, I made oysters Rockefeller. How many oysters Rockefeller do you think you made? I made. I could tell you exactly how many I made. I made around fifty. Fifty. Fifty oysters Rockefeller. <laughs> Um, and I chucked them myself. Actually, I wised up the second round. I actually had the fish market chuck them and then just give me the shells in a separate bag um, just to save some time because it was New Year's Eve. I knew that I'd be drinking and I didn't want to be shucking oysters. Um, that Yeah, that could have been a very different New Year's Eve. <laughs> yes. Yeah. My hands by the end of the summer, I, I eat so many oysters during the summertime. My hands by the end of the summer have little poke holes, like just little puncture wounds all over them from shucking <laughs> oysters all summer long. It's one of my favorite dishes. I've gone out there with Tom, and, like, we ate oysters at just everywhere. <laughs> everywhere Every, we went. Yeah. yeah, everywhere we went. During the summer, I spent a lot of time on the North Fork of Long Island, and it's just it's just known for oysters. It's oyster heaven out there. So uh, I am an oyster lover, so that's why I wanted to talk about oysters Rockefeller. Um, you had oysters Rockefeller? Um, I've had it, but the way that you've talked about it before is mm-hmm. not how I've, I've had it like with cream spinach and like Bernate, like over the top, like steakhouse. Yeah. Oysters Rockefeller. And then, well, the thing about Oysters Rockefeller, so first of all, we'll go into the history a little bit. Oysters Rockefeller, uh, was invented at, what's the, what's the name of the restaurant? Antoine's. An- Antoine's in New Orleans. Yeah. And Antoine's is, is one of those famous restaurants it's, I think it's got 15 dining rooms. And every room is totally different. Every room is right? totally yeah. different. They don't – because they, they have one of the biggest wine cellars in the United States, but because it's in New Orleans and they have such a high water table, there's actually not a cellar. It's like a wine alleyway. It's between two buildings and they have it covered and this big wrought iron gate in between and it's like specially air conditioned and it's an alley between two buildings where they, they have this wine cellar. It is – if you've never been, it is a bucket list for – Foodie, food history, you know, there, just really good food. There's this really dense book called The Ten Restaurants That Shaped America, mm-hmm. and it's one of them. I believe it. Yeah, yeah. I believe it. I've, I mean, I've read the book, and it really I couldn't is. finish the book. <laughs> it's really dead. I was ho- I wanted something different from what that book gave me. 
Well, so you can't talk about Oysters Rockefeller without talking about Antoine's because Antoine's invented. The son of the, the owner of Antoine's invented Oysters Rockefeller. And oysters were sort of a poor man's food for years. Crazy. It's, I mean, the streets of New York were lined with oyster shells because oysters were just, they were plentiful. They were all over the place. So Oysters Rockefeller was invented when there was a shortage of escargot in New Orleans. And they decided that they wanted to elevate oysters. Oh, quick, we're out of snails. What <laughs> yeah, can we do? What can we do? So, like, let's make this really, um, this really rich oyster dish. That's why they called it Oysters mm-hmm. Rockefeller. You know, J.D. That's Rockefeller. That's why I thought it came from New York. Yeah, no, J.D. Rockefeller was the richest person in the world, and they decided this is the richest dish in the world. Um, and so they called it Oysters Rockefeller. And the recipe, what's interesting about Oysters Rockefeller is that the recipe was is gone. No one knows what the original recipe is. I mean, there have been food labs that have taken and put it, you know, put the the oysters through like chemical tests to try to find exactly what's in Antoine's recipe because that's a closely guarded secret. But in reality, the secret recipe was probably taken to the grave by the inventor, the son of Antoine's who who invented this. Can I guess something though? Sure. I'm going to say that Oysters Rockefeller back then, mm-hmm. not as good as Oysters Rockefeller now. Well, now I feel like everyone has just added yeah, whatever they wanted exactly. to. Like I I personally do my Oysters Rockefeller with spinach. I do regular wilted spinach, garlic, onions, lots of butter, lots of Parmesan cheese, and I use um, pernod. I sprinkle mm-hmm. pernod on top. The original recipe, apparently there was no never any spinach in it. Um, it was just a whole bunch of herbs with garlic and butter and cheese, and they drizzled maybe absinthe on top of it. They don't. They don't know. Nobody knows exactly what the real oysters rock, the original oysters Rockefeller recipe is. But I think that's what makes it a really unique and cool sort of dish. Is that it's open to interpretation. I, I there's a restaurant that I go to out on the North Fork again called the Frisky Oyster, and they do oysters fricafella, where they use um, I believe they use arugula. And they put some a different kind of cheese on top of it, and it's it's phenomenal. It looks like oysters Rockefeller, but it's just a little bit different. They, it uses arugula, um, but I and I when I do my oysters Rockefeller, I do them sort of traditionally during the winter time. I do them with the spinach and everything like that. But then during the summertime, I'll just sort of create oysters Rockefeller from whatever green vegetables we have lying around. Dinosaur the house. kale. <laughs> I have not put kale okay, in. Good. That's no, I haven't done that. <laughs> There's no way I've done that. But I've done it with just a whole bunch of herbs. Um, I've done them with um, with bitter herbs like um, parsley. With, no, not well. I've done it with parsley, but with like radicchio. Ooh. Oh, you know, chopped up some radicchio, sautéed it down, put it in oysters, and then broil the oysters with garlic, butter, and cheese. I mean, let's face it: anything you broil with garlic, butter, and cheese is going to be just phenomenal. Yeah. So cheat codes. <laughs> but oysters Rockefeller is is one of my favorite dishes. First of all, because it's delicious, and second of all, because it makes me geek out about the the history of food. And it's one of those dishes that was, it's uniquely American. Nobody knows the real recipe of it. Everybody has interpreted it. Like you said, when you go to a steakhouse, there's this crazy, like, creamed spinach. Creamed spinach concoction. with bernays and stuff yeah. on top. Like, what, super, super rich. I've, I've seen them with bacon. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen them just all over, all over the place. There's just different recipes in, in every region of the United States. And what I also love is that if you travel down south, it is a staple of breakfast and brunch. 
Oysters Rockefeller. That's a game changer. Oh man, it is. You travel to New Orleans. You travel like down in the like that South Carolina. Yeah, you just it's a staple of of just good brunch, and it's that's fair. why I am naming Oysters Rockefeller. <laughs> <laughs> not a foodie food of the week. <laughs> I don't know. No, that, I just, I just came up that. with that. No, yeah. we're not doing that. No. <laughs> All right. Well, you're listening to the Not A Foodie Show on 620 AM Radio Rampa. I'm Tom and with me is Mike. And I hope you learned something about Oysters Rockefeller. <laughs> Stay tuned for a big interview with Russell Cohn after this. Yeah, we'll be right back. Thank you. Hey, everyone. It's Tom from the Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant-loving audience? The Not A Foodie Radio Show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. That's info at notafoodie.com. If you are listening to this broadcast, chances are you've toyed around with the idea of launching your own creative recording project or podcast. If so, BK Media Center is the perfect media facility for your needs. Whether you're a group of friends looking for a soundproof facility to record a podcast or a more dynamic project with live streaming up to nine cameras, the staff at BK Media Center can cater to your needs and, more importantly, to your budget, also providing flexible studio schedule. Visit the website at bkmediacenter.com or call 917-300-9123 to set up a studio tour. We're back with the Not A Foodie Show on 620 AM Radio Rampa. And right now, we have a special guest. So, um, Mike, set this up. You, one of your one of your friends yeah. from how long have you known uh, uh, Russell Cohen, who is with us in the studio right when now? When did we open Sunsicano? Like a year and a half ago. Uh huh. So probably then uh, Russell came for friends and family. Uh huh. Because he was involved with uh, the first ever Brooklyn sake company, uh, Brooklyn Cura. Okay. And he brought anyone that gives me booze is a friend <laughs> uh, automatically. So Russell's in the studio right now with us. Russell brought us booze, and he's. Automatically my friend. Now I'm an even better friend. Yes, exactly. So, Russell, why don't you uh, say hello and introduce yourself? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me here. I really appreciate it. Oh, no. Thanks for coming in. Uh, So I'm uh, uh, Chief Operating Officer of uh, Mochi Doki, which is the premium mochi ice cream company. Uh, I've been involved in a couple other food startups over the years, which we've already mentioned, Brooklyn Kura, New York's first sake brewery, um, which was super exciting. And then we've got some West 32 soju here. Uh, and yeah, I've been involved in a couple other projects. So for those that don't know, why don't you explain, first of all, what mochi is, what, I mean, I think most people know what sake is, yeah. but just in case, and what soju is, because I know what all of them are, and I love all of them, <laughs> but for our audience that might not know, why don't you talk about those? Absolutely. So so I should I should be careful to be specific. It's mochi ice cream. So okay. mochi is a traditional Japanese dessert. It's a uh, rice cake uh, that's made by pounding rice flour, and it's actually it's timely for New Year's. It's a traditional New Year's food. Oh, I didn't know that. Ha- have you seen the gif of two guys making mochi? Like, <laughs> yeah, with an alley, pulling it in, beating it, and pulling it. <laughs> it's, I haven't seen the gif, but it is terrifying. You yeah. see these guys with mallets, and then somebody's reaching their hand in there under yeah. the mallet to reposition it. These guys are going to get their and they're like Bugs Bunny sized mallets, like yeah. comically large. Oh yeah, and I, I have a lot of friends who for whom this is like a family tradition that they do this at home. 
And while I think it would be awesome if we could do that with our mochi ice cream, there's no, there are no mallets involved in our mochi ice cream. The workers' compensation laws would be uh, uh, awful for this. So uh, mochi doki is an ice cream. It's a mochi ice cream. Mochi product. ice cream uh, company. So uh, what we do is we take a ball of ice cream and we wrap it in uh, mochi dough, um, and uh, it's actually it's a, a mochi cake, and so it creates a thin layer of uh, rice cake around this delicious ice cream on the inside. And mo- uh, Mochidoki was founded on the concept of doing higher quality ice creams, really interested in inclusions, getting the colors to be beautiful, um, to serve specifically the restaurant market. Okay. Um, and so whereas you can go to your grocery store and you'll see mochi ice cream in at Whole shelf, Foods. At Whole Foods. They have a whole freezer. Exactly. And that's one of our competitors. Um, we didn't want to go after the, the grocery market because it's really tough to get into that market. It's very expensive, but also the quality of the product suffers because that, that mochi sits in that freezer. It's opened, it's closed, people sneeze on it, whatever. Right. Um, right. And so our focus is saying, look, we want to partner with the best chefs in the country. We're at premier Japanese restaurants around the country where they rely on us to be their, their ice cream supplier. Wow, that's great. So it's made here in New York? Or it's made it in New Jersey. Made we in have New our Jersey. own facility in New Jersey. Um, we make it ourselves. Um, it's our own recipe, our own, our own concoction, and then we ship it directly to restaurants. And if you're a chef, you want the last bite your, your customers eat to be as delicious as every other bite of the meal. Right. Right. And so it's super important. And to a lot of restaurants, especially now, desserts are usually like an afterthought. Exactly. You see pastry chefs disappearing around the country. Mm -hmm. People aren't putting the dollars into it. And mochi ice cream is very difficult to make in restaurants. Uh, it's easier to make in bulk. We can uh, uh, make the dough in bulk, and the, there's a lot of, of processes around that. People don't want to have to do that themselves. Right. Well, that's that's great. I, I want to talk to you. Maybe in the next segment, we'll talk a little bit about you know how you got involved in food entrepreneurship and things like that. But um, really, I find I find it fascinating um, the products that you are working with right now. Um, so the mochi and then soju, like what's what's soju? Yeah, so soju, it's funny. People assume soju and sake are the same thing. Soju is uh, Korean vodka, essentially. Right. It's a low-proof vodka. It's about 20% ABV typically. It's distilled, right? It's distilled, correct. So where sake is brewed, right. uh, soju is distilled. So the difference is, you know, like whiskey is distilled and beer is brewed, wine is... Fermented. It's brewed. <laughs> brewed, essentially. Brewed, it's the essentially, same process. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, but soju is is distilled, but it's distilled at a much lower alcohol uh, yeah. by volume rate. And than, by it's distilled from rice. It's distilled it, from Well, rice. actually, soju can be made from just about Already, anything. Yeah, you can make it from sweet. So uh, Japanese shochu is essentially the same as soju. And I shouldn't say essentially the same. It is the Japanese version of soju. Um, they are similar products can be made from... Uh, just about anything, any ferment. Uh, so you'll see it made from grapes. Ours actually is made from corn. And oh, we, oh we wow. see that the corn adds a nice sweetness to it. Is is that traditional or is that like sort of an American soju? Right? So what I would say is uh, for unlike shochu, where there's a, a very strong Japanese tradition around uh, the, the orthodoxy of how you're supposed to do it and, and it's artisanal, soju has taken a different turn. A lot of the soju you see in... Korea is is very inexpensive, uh, just to, to it's rot gut, frankly. Yeah, soju I, I makes me want to sing because I usually <laughs> have it at two a.m. <laughs> on St. Mark's. Yeah, yeah. No, in K- I'm big K- on K-Town. K-Town. Oh, in K Town. All right, all right. 
<laughs> I had, uh, so I was in Japan, I mean, it, it's a long time ago, 15 years ago, and I was there with a bunch of uh, folks who are on leave from the military in South Korea. So they came over to Japan and yep. we, we walked around and they we found a bar that had Korean soju in it. Yep. And they were saying that uh, back in Korea, they would just go to the stores, they'd buy the cheapest soju that they could, and then they buy Kool-Aid mix <laughs> and mix the two of them together. And that was sort of their jungle juice. That was their drink of choice was that. And so our concept was with West 32 is to make a higher quality soju. So okay. it's uh, higher quality ingredients, no preservatives, no additives, uh, so that you can drink it and not have the crazy hangover that you'll have if you're drinking some of the imported Korean soju. I, I see that. So you've got two bottles that you brought with you. Um, one of them is is barrel aged. Yeah. So so the typical soju shows up in a green bottle. Uh, it's usually a three three hundred seventy five milliliter because you order by the bottle mm -hmm. um, as opposed to vodka where you're not going to order by the bottle <laughs> normally. Right. Um, we launched uh, back in September first New York-made barrel-aged soju. So this is actually uh, aged for about four to six months in first-use uh, American whiskey barrels. Oh, Ooh. are they, so like white oak? Whiskey? White oak whiskey yeah, barrels, wow. yeah. Uh, made up in, up in uh, just north of Albany. That's great. And That's it's really it delicious. Tint. Exactly. So you can actually see the color on it. We, we put it into a clear bottle, unlike the traditional green soju bottle, so you can see that color on it. And it's almost like a it's like a a light bourbon. Uh, we we have a higher ABV on it, so our our classic soju is twenty percent ABV. Mm -hmm. The barrel aged is a, at thirty two, and Ooh. that's not just a gimmick on the name West Thirty Two. We tried it <laughs> at a whole bunch of different uh, ABVs to see what what actually stood up best against the uh, the barrel flavor. So where is that distilled? It's distilled here in New York. It's in Clifton Park, New York, oh, upstate, okay. upstate, upstate New York. Yeah. Wow, that's great. And is there anything else distilled there? Or is it just you, for soju, the distillery? Yeah, so we work with Yankee Distillers, which is a, a craft distillery up there. He makes gotcha. his own bourbon. He makes some delicious rums. Uh, he makes he makes vodka. He makes a lot of really cool stuff. And so he's been a great partner for us uh, and and uh, uh, done some really neat stuff. Is um, is West 32 in a lot of restaurants? Or how how do people go go about finding West 32? Is yeah. it in your liquor stores? Is it restaurants? Absolutely. We're, we're in liquor stores and restaurants around New York and more and more around the country. We're in Chicago. We're in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Texas, California. Uh, so we've gotten some great distribution around the country. Here in New York, you can find us up and down uh, 32nd Street in K-Town, which is where the name comes from. Right, right. right. Uh, I'm going for my roommate's birthday tomorrow night we're going to tear up k-town so i will make sure to only order west 32 i very much appreciate that we're going to walk into a place and be like do you have west 32 soju and that if they say yes we'll dine there and if they say no <laughs> then, sorry then you can expletive and walk yeah. out yeah and i'm sure we'll see a massive uptick in sales for the month of january thanks to <laughs> oh you oh my god and... we talked about white castle last week and white castle stock went through the roof i mean you know we are trendsetters. i bought it when i heard the tip absolutely <laughs> Rode the wave. <laughs> do you um do you see a lot of a lot more soju in the market these days, or is it? Mike and I were talking about Korean food and how Korean food has just exploded <sighs> over the past year. I mean, do you see uh, an uptick in in soju and more sojus out there, or so? Absolutely. Short answer is absolutely, and we're really excited about it. I I think. Korean food, in some ways, is the next Japanese food, and uh, you know, if you look at, you're not the first person to come on our show and say that. Yeah, 
uh, we were we were also told that Korean food is the next Italian food. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll aim for that. When we yes. see Red Checker, Table Closet, yes, uh, exactly. Grand Rex Restaurant. <laughs> uh, you know, if you look at what's happened with Japanese food over the last few years, you have Japanese restaurants showing up up and down the, the Michelin star list. They're right. popping up on every corner. Um, and and you, you're starting to see more and more premium, high-quality Korean food that's that's catering to the upper echelon of diners, and you'll see that trickle down. And I think that definitely flows into Soju. Adamix got voted fifth-best fifth new restaurant of the year in their high, high, high-end Korean tasting menu. And Coat... Got a lot of yeah, right. uh, uh, love last year, but you know we're in Chicago. I'm from Chicago. There's a great Korean restaurant market in Chicago as well. You see wow. more and more. And for example, there's a, a chain of of taco places called Soul Taco, sort of <laughs> taking it to the people. And and we're they've been a great partner for us. And super excited to see what they're. There's doing. an article in the um, in the New York Times this past weekend, I think it was about um, kimchi grilled cheese and how what like why is not why isn't everybody just adding kimchi to your grilled cheese sandwich? I mean, it's, kimchi is my favorite condiment. Kimchi is. <laughs> <it's awesome. laughs> you know, I think with that, you're seeing more and more fermented foods. Yes. Is the other trend. No, I agree. I, for Christmas, I got Tom the Noma book. Yeah, Noma the Noma book. I love the that guide book. to fermentation. I'm, it's so I'm a good. big experimenter with that stuff. Yeah. Well, anyway, we are we're, we've got to take a quick break, but if you can stick around, um, we'd love to talk more about about soju, about mochidoki, about food entrepreneurship. I really like that's something that I love to to talk about. So uh, stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. This is the Not a Foodie Radio Show on Radio Rampa, six twenty a.m. If you are listening to this broadcast, chances are you've toyed around with the idea of launching your own creative recording project or podcast. If so, BK Media Center is the perfect media facility for your needs. Whether you're a group of friends looking for a soundproof facility to record a podcast or a more dynamic project with live streaming up to nine cameras, the staff at BK Media Center can cater to your needs and more importantly, to your budget, also providing flexible studio schedule. Visit the website at bkmediacenter.com or call 917-300-9123 to set up a studio tour. Hey everyone, it's Tom from the Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant loving audience? The Not A Foodie Radio Show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. That's info at notafoodie.com. We are back. It's the Not A Foodie Show on AM 620 Radio Rampa. I am Tom. It's Mike. And with us, thanks for staying, is Russell Cohn. Hello. Russell, what, what is your official title with all of these companies. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm chief operating officer of Mochidoki. And I would describe that as, as my day to day. That's my primary role right now. Um, I'm a partner in West 32. Okay. Um, uh, there are three of us, the two co-founders and myself. And, and, uh, uh, and then, uh, I also actually, am an advisor to Nomakai, which is a canned wine and spirits brand. Which oh, wow. We haven't even gotten a chance to talk about yet. <laughs> well, you didn't bring us samples of those. I so. didn't. I didn't. I didn't have on hand. But it's really delicious. Uh, sparkling rosé. 
and can gin and tonic, and there's some new cool skews on nice. the horizon. Nice. Well, how, so how did you get into this? How did you get into food entrepreneurship and and investing and advising in all of these companies? Yeah, so um, the food side of it definitely starts early for me. I think when I was a kid, I wanted to be a chef, and that my mother has a photo of me in a toe cat <laughs> as a 12-year-old. Um, and so I had a lot of fun with with food and cooking in particular. Nice. Uh, I ended up going to school and studying math and economics and and spent 10 years as a professional investor um, working for a couple of investment funds, a hedge fund here in New York, a mutual fund in Chicago where mm-hmm. I'm from, um, and investing in large food companies, companies like Smuckers and Constellation. Wow. Would you invest in uh, Two Guys from Queens in our food company? <laughs> it, it, it depends on what uh, you guys are pitching. Okay. So Tom and I are um, very Italian-American. <laughs> So we wanted to bring in the most Italian and American product you could think of. Um, Amaro, an Italian uh, bitter liqueur ended meal digestive. Oh, yep. I didn't I didn't realize you were gonna pitch this. Okay, so let's let's back up and say um, no one steal our idea because this is this is an awesome idea. Yeah, this is a life. Sh- this so is a multi million. If you steal yeah. this idea, we are going to sue you. Well, Russell's <laughs> going to give us money, and we're going to just start going okay. into this venture. All right. So, do you um, want to do you want to pitch it or should yeah, I? Yeah, no, it? I I'm, I was halfway through. Oh. So Amaro being the most Italian after dinner liqueur. Now it's finally uh, you're seeing it pop up in steakhouses and other high end restaurants, and you're seeing Italian restaurants really go from having one to having like 10 because it's awesome. So it's a, a emerging market with a, a lot of space for newcomers. Meets the most American spice, pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. Just no, be no, clear. No, no, you're ruining this pitch. Pumpkin or pumpkin spice? Pumpkin, pumpkin spice. Because there's no pumpkin in pumpkin, pumpkin spice, just spice to be clear. Amaro. I think what uh, so this was my pitch to to I think we talked about this. No, you said I said that there said needs you, to be a distinctly American flavored yes. Amaro. And I think I said that there pumpkin is a market spice. for it. And you said pumpkin spice. Yes. So we're talking about a bitter sort of digestif, nothing sweet. It's not like a caramel pumpkin spice no latte. Sugar. <laughs> no sugar in it. Something that uses American like distinctly American flavors. And uh, it's something that is a digestif that you put out on the bar or you start mixing it in cocktails. And and just like the monks that make Fernet Branca and that have been making the same hidden formula for years and years and years, there's going to be mystery around this. No one's going to know what's in it. It's, uh, it's a mystery that was conceived of in a basement in Queens. And, uh, and that's it. That's, uh, what do we call it? Do we have any idea? We've got to come up with a name. That's step two. Step, step one is get the money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Starbucks. Secure the bag. Starbucks trademark PSL, right? You yeah, can't no, no, do no, we're not doing PSL. No PSL. No. Okay, all right. I, I, I mean, it could be PSA, pumpkin spice Amaro. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's, yeah. PSA. that's why he's a, a professional. Yes, I, exactly. I gotta tell you, you realize though, you're only gonna have 15 sales days in the year, just to be clear. <laughs> yes, no, <laughs> I know. Come Jan one, it's totally. Uh, well, people no, will buy cases of it, absolutely. and it'll sit there just like you know the Galliano that sat in my my parents' <laughs> liquor cabinet for. four 40 years. I mean, there will be a, P- a bottle of PSA in every liquor cabinet collecting dust, and they'll bust it out for Thanksgiving from September to Thanksgiving every year. I'm 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 bullish on <laughs> I'm bullish on PSA. Absolutely. I'm in bullish on I'll, PSA. I'll play my best Jim Kramer and you know hit the bye 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 button. I think we, there's a bell here, right? Yeah. 
There we go. There you go. The market is open. <laughs> oh my God, we're officially in a radio show. With sound effects now. <laughs> What's funny is you know Starbucks is kind of meeting you guys in the middle because they launched that juniper latte, which yeah. everyone said tastes like gin tastes like latte. Gin. So you know the PSA is it's, kind of the opposite direction. It's the coffee of Amari. Do you see? Um, do you hear a lot of these pitches? Do you hear like how do you find a company that you want to get involved in? <laughs> do people come pitch you or do you go do your research? So uh, the companies that I've been, that I've gotten involved in are all about uh, the people. So, you know, a, a good idea is a dime a dozen. And yeah. you go to a cocktail bar or whatever, go to a bar, you'll hear a good, actually good idea for a business. Are, are you saying ours wasn't good? Oh, no, I'm <laughs> saying it's great. I'm <laughs> saying it's great. But now comes the hard part, yes. which is how do you turn it from a cool idea in a studio into an actual real life yeah. business. And it's so there's so much in between. It's always so I, I've I've started a few companies and it's always what I've said to to people around me that um you know when they say aren't you worried that someone's gonna steal your idea or and what I always say is if I can't capitalize on this idea, then I don't deserve to own this idea. Like yeah. ideas are a dime a dozen, but it's actually getting it done that is the value I of, think in any of these. That's a hundred percent right. That's exactly right for salt philosophy. And you hear all the time people who say, Oh, I had that idea ten years ago. <laughs> if only I had done it. And I, I like yes. I am I'm guilty of this too. I kid you not, in two thousand and I don't know, eleven, I was in business school and said, oh, somebody should start a service for taxis to, you know, have GPS in them to identify where they should go and where the best. You invented Uber. I invented Uber. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, it's like the, um, all those diet ice creams now. Yep. That like everybody has thought, why don't they make ice cream that like makes you skinny? And <laughs> like three companies decided to actually do it <laughs> yeah it's it's incredible and, and making it taste good though is a whole separate story oh yeah there's there's a famous um it's it's about modern art and it's a it's a cartoon it was probably in the new yorker or something i have no idea but it's uh, i remember looking at it in in school way 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 back where it's someone looking at a piece of modern art and says i could have done that and then the punchline or the punchline but like then the person next to them says but you didn't right and that's that's what I feel about entrepreneurship. That's what I feel about you. Everyone can have these great ideas. And after they come out, you're like, oh, that's such a simple idea. Like modern art. Oh, I could have done that. It's like I could be Jackson Pollock and put a whole bunch of paint on a, on a canvas, but you didn't. And so this is where – so I, I spent 10 years as an investor in the spirit of Warren Buffett, which is bottom-up value investing, thinking about stocks as companies and, and an investor as an owner and what would you do with this company – and does it have a sustainable competitive advantage? And what is it? And how is it changing? And so everything I've got involved in has a sustainable competitive advantage. Um, I can talk through, you know, with Mochidoki, making mochi ice cream is not easy. And we have a differentiated approach to the market that I think gives us an advantage. I've had the ice cream. I've had the Mochidoki. It is phenomenal, too. It's like it's a high end, just premium. I can't Sorry. wait to have some. Yeah. Thanks for bringing Thanks. some. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't wait to dig into the soju as well. But, <laughs> yeah, maybe the soju comes first and then the mochi doki. Hey, you know, it, at the same time, they pair well. They <laughs> yeah. pair well. But, but, you know, Warren Buffett also has this idea of the punch card, that you should invest as if you have a punch card uh, with 10 spots on it. And every yeah. time you make an investment, you use one of those spots and you can't get it back. Yeah. 
And I think that this is actually, I mean, he uses the term for investing your dollars in publicly traded equities. But I think all the more uh, this applies to entrepreneurs, think about what you get involved in. And your mo my most valuable resource is my time. Right. And if I'm going to spend time on something, it has to be something I believe in, has to be something I'm excited about. And most importantly, it has to be with people I like. I think that the, the entrepreneur's dilemma is that you, you see a good idea and you, you just want to get involved. And your brain works that certain way. You're like, oh, well, I can just make this so much better than it's going on right now. But you don't have time on your punch card yep. to do that. Like I see things all the time where I'm like, I would love to get involved in something like that, but I just can't. And it took me a long time to realize that, you know, I needed to, you are in danger very easily of spreading yourself too thin when you have that mindset, but you sort of need that mindset to be an entrepreneur. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's always that tension. There's yeah. always that tension. So the, the projects that I've been involved in, in some form, they've all come to me in the sense that it's talking with a friend about a problem that they're facing or something they're working on. And they say, oh, can you help me out with this? And if it's something I believe in, if I have the capacity, I'm, I'm going to do it. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for visiting This us. was great. Thanks for bringing <laughs> liquor and ice cream. Uh, <laughs> also the title of my next mixtape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so every, everyone go out, look for West 32 Soju and Mo Mochidoki. What, can you name some restaurants where that is right now? Or? Uh, sure. I mean, we're at lots of restaurants around New York. We're okay. in Sushi Seki. We're in Nobu. We're in Jewel Baco. Uh, we're in Tower. And so but they're, awesome. they're not they're not saying Mochi Doki Mochi, right? They're just saying they have generally. There are a couple. So like Takuman is a great uh, restaurant here in Long Island City, mm -hmm. um, and they've actually put our name on the menu, oh, and, awesome. and some great. have. But but a lot of them, you've probably tried our mochi and not even known it. Wow, that's great. So go out, try some mochi, uh, mochi doki. Russell Cohen, thanks for being with us. Thanks for uh, bringing gifts. And uh, we'll be back in a little bit. This is the Not A Foodie Show on 620 AM Radio Rampa. If you are listening to this broadcast, chances are you've toyed around with the idea of launching your own creative recording project or podcast. If so, BK Media Center is the perfect media facility for your needs. Whether you're a group of friends looking for a soundproof facility to record a podcast or a more dynamic project with live streaming up to nine cameras, the staff at BK Media Center can cater to your needs and, more importantly, to your budget, also providing flexible studio schedule. Visit the website at bkmediacenter.com or call 917-300-9123 to set up a studio tour. Hey, everyone. It's Tom from The Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant-loving audience? The Not A Foodie Radio Show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. That's info at notafoodie.com. We're back with the Not A Foodie Radio Show on Radio Rampa, 620 AM. So last week, Mike, we ended the show with a little segment called What Are We Drinking Tonight? And since Russell Cohn was here with us talking about soju, we invited him to stick around for this segment. So, 
Russell, you've got a couple bottles in front of you there. You've got, you know, you, you obviously like the uh, the cocktails. What um, what are you drinking tonight? Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm going to be drinking some pear liqueur that my wife and I made over the holidays that is truly delicious. Oh, man, that's nice. great. I'm yeah. a big fan of, like, the homemade liqueurs and homemade I love bitters pears. and... Yeah, these were these were Union Square Farmers Market pairs too. I, I walk through the Union Square Farmers Market every every week, and uh, there's just so much there. So I grab some pears, threw them in Everclear, add some simple syrup after a week. It's so easy to make liqueur. Oh, yeah. it's so good. I love that. I love that. I, I usually have a bottle of orange yellow, which is like a blood orange liqueur, just sitting in my freezer at home, waiting for summertime. So, Mike, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, if you guys can tell, I've been super sick. Yes. So, uh, I mean, I have a penicillin. <laughs> Some Robitussin? No. Drinking, no. drinking Robitussin <laughs> cocktails. <laughs> What's in a penicillin? I love the penicillin. What so is a penicillin? Last week I did a milk and honey cocktail, and I believe penicillin's a death and co cocktail. It's uh, two ounces of blended whiskey, uh, usually Chivas or Johnny Black or something, uh, lemon juice, then a ginger honey syrup, and then you float a little bit of a uh, smoky Isla scotch on it. Nice. And it's it served awesome. in a rocks glass over a really big rock, and you try to put the scotch on top of the ice cube. Oh, I love that. I love that. I, penicillin <laughs> is, is one of those cocktails that is it's from the new renaissance of, mm-hmm. of you know, of craft cocktails. Uh, me, personally, I am um, I'm about to fly out to uh, San Francisco to go to the Winter Fancy Food Show, um, which is a big trade show for, you know, food trends, food distributors. Um, so whenever I go to California, I drink either tequila or mezcal because I think there's just a better choice out there of, of really good crafty or craft distilled mezcals. I'm, I'm a mezcal person. I like the smokiness. So I am going to have a Oaxacan Negroni. I knew it. As soon as, as, soon as it's a mezcal. <laughs> it's, it's just basically a Negroni. Um, What's that, a Negroni? Oh, uh, well, a Negroni is gin. Mike, you know. you're Gin, you, Campari, sweet, vermouth, one one part each, equal parts. So yes. easy, so good. So you take away the gin and you add mezcal, and that's a Oaxacan Negroni. Um, Mike knows how to make – you know how I know Mike knows how to make a Negroni? Because Mike came to uh, to my house out east this summer, and all of a sudden I, there was no Campari left. Or sweet left. vermouth. I or sweet vermouth. Yeah. Everything was gone. <laughs> You know what I was drinking over the holidays that was so good? Just vermouth on the rocks. Sweet vermouth on the rocks Dolan? with a slice of uh, with a slice of orange. It, there are, Dolan, it's really do, yeah, they're very like you, like craft vermouth makers, and that's just a whole different ballgame. But just straight vermouth, just drink it. Mm-hmm. It's great. Nice. Well, I think that's it for the not a foodie show this week. Whoa! There, there's there's that music. That means it's time to go. So thanks, guys. Thanks, Russell, for joining us. This is the Not a Foodie Radio Program on 6:20 a.m. Radio Rampa. Remember to reach out to us. We are at Not a Foodie Show on Instagram, at Not a Foodie Show on Twitter. You can always email info at notafoodie.com. Get in touch with us. We'll talk to you soon. We'll see you next week. everyone, it's Tom from the Not A Foodie Show. 
Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant loving audience? The Not A Foodie Radio Show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. That's info at notafoodie.com. If you are listening to this broadcast, chances are you've toyed around with the idea of launching your own creative recording project or podcast. If so, BK Media Center is the perfect media facility for your needs. Whether you're a group of friends looking for a soundproof facility to record a podcast or a more dynamic project with live streaming up to nine cameras, the staff at BK Media Center can cater to your needs and, more importantly, to your budget, also providing flexible studio schedule. Visit the website at bkmediacenter.com or call 917-300-9123 to set up a studio tour. Hey everyone, it's Tom from the Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant loving audience? The Not A Foodie Radio Show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. 